This week on episode 532 of Priority One, Viacom CBS upsets most of the world, Star Trek Explorer Magazine debuts, Star Trek Online introduces a new 32nd century starship, plus we start our season four review of Star Trek Discovery. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 532 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, November 16th and available for download or streaming on Friday, November 19th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Roscoe. All right, guys, this is going to be a very contentious show. I think we all have a lot of uh, frustration in response to some news that we got from Star Trek that we'll dive into later. But until then, how was your week? So far, pretty good. Great. <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> Roscoe's holding back the, great. the rage inside. <laughs> Roscoe's in that, um, you know, cartoon fine. with the I'm fine in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Everything around him is on fire. Everything is on fire around, around me. And I'm thinking, that's fine. <laughs> Just fine. So personally, life is great. Yeah. Good. It's great. Now, Captains, before we move on, on, we do need to make an announcement and make sure that you're aware that there will be no show next week. The majority of the team is in the U.S., and as such, we celebrate uh, and observe Thanksgiving, so we'll be giving the team a break next week. But we'll be back the following for a couple of weeks before Christmas. We're, you know, we're in that holiday swing of things now in our 10th year of doing the show. So, yeah, no show next week. I hope that you have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Get vaccinated, protect your family, protect those around you, and wear a mask if you're not eating. Why not? Now, before we jump into the news, we want to welcome new listeners to the show, and we hope that you will stay in touch. This show is actually produced by a community of volunteers who donate their time and their talents because, like you, they are passionate about what Star Trek is all about. So we hope you'll get involved and be a part of our community. Follow us on social media so you can share your thoughts about the weekly headlines. Join the Armada so that you can experience Star Trek gaming with like-minded trickies. Or consider joining the team and lending your skills and passion to producing this very show. Captains, as we've already mentioned, this production is put together entirely by volunteers. People like you who are passionate Trekkies who also have a few hours a week to donate their time and talents to producing this weekly show. So if you happen to find value in this production, we encourage you to visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. And please consider offering a monthly financial contribution to be as little as a dollar and up. And we do our best to incentivize your contributions. For example, 
people are starting to receive those uh, coasters and patches and stickers that uh, celebrated our 500th episode earlier this year. And we're excited that you're excited to receive them. So again, if you find value in the production of this podcast, help us out, help us keep the lights on, help us continue to improve on the quality of the show over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now let's find out what's been happening in the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's break it out. Well, the news broke early on Tuesday the 16th that international fans of Star Trek Discovery will have to wait until 2022 to be able to watch Season 4, and then only watch it on Paramount+. Plus. Under the terms of an agreement finalized today between Netflix and CBS Viacom, Netflix will no longer be streaming the show. Viacom CBS was most likely pleased with the agreement since under the 2017 deal that Les Moonves had set up with Netflix, CBS had agreed to pay the bulk of the show's cost costly budget for the overseas rights. This should not be a huge surprise, though, given Viacom CBS's efforts to incentivize subscribers to Paramount+. Plus. Back at the end of September, the original series, Voyager, and Enterprise all left Netflix, and Paramount+, Plus is the only platform where you can watch these series. Now that Netflix is out of the picture, the UK, Germany, Ireland, Austria, and Switzerland will be the first international markets to stream Discovery on Paramount+. Plus. Viacom CBS has said that as a part of an accelerated expansion, they anticipate being in around 45 markets within the next year or so. No news on the release date for our Australian friends, though. Let's hear from Roscoe on his reaction to the news. So yeah, waking up this morning to the news that two days out from the premiere of Star Trek Discovery, all the big build-up, all the excitement of a brand new series. Hey, we were going to get two Star Trek series on air at the same time. And then I saw this article and I just kind of went... So I took a moment and obviously this is a little frustrating uh, to have this pulled out just before we get the premiere of season four. And that's it's I've run through a gamut of emotions over the course of the morning. Uh, frustration, anger, um, anger again. There was some more frustration. Um, can't believe. I just, I just, I don't understand why they would do this so close to the premiere. It doesn't make sense. But I, and look, I haven't seen the numbers. I'm sure, I'm sure financially it makes sense, but it feels like an absolute kick in the gut. And I don't get it why they would exclude the rest of the world from watching this when they had everything in place. Wait till after, wait till season four is done. Do it then. Nah, they, they had to do it now for some reason, which has not yet come to light. Not particularly happy, guys. Yeah. I suspect it's the calendar year and they didn't want to have to renew any licenses for the upcoming year because they are trying to consolidate all this stuff onto Paramount Plus and all that uh, licensing fees are hella expensive. Mm-hmm. Now, Kat, I understand, you know, you are a lawyer. Yes. Um, I know that not all lawyers are the same and, you know, it's you, you don't go to a cardiologist when you have a foot problem. Same with, with lawyers. Is there anything that you can kind of 
piece together that could explain why a deal couldn't have been locked in for international release? Well, the issue is that every country's intellectual property laws are different. Some countries like the UK have like a government like copyright scheme where you have to pay like certain amounts in order to license and distribute your project in those areas. You have to show all the paperwork to show that you've paid the appropriate royalties to all the people involved. And then there's UK rates. I mean, there's rates for every country. Those rates vary. It's all complicated. And each country has to be dealt with separately. So it takes a long time to make all these deals. And I suspect that all of these deals have been in the works since they have wanted to consolidate all this stuff on Paramount Plus. But um, it's really strange why it was today, announced today, unless they've been working on this deal for some time and it maybe was expected to close much earlier. So CBS Viacom really does not have a very good PR line to break it to everybody like this today. I mean, the timing is the, the absolute worst. Now, I we should mention that, Kat, you are, in fact, an IP lawyer, right? Yes, yes. So, you know, we're not asking a cardiologist to look at our foot. <laughs> we have an expert. We have an expert here to talk about this, and we're great to have you on the show to help parse through this kind of announcement. You know, this is just another example of Viacom CBS dropping the ball mm-hmm. in such a spectacular way. First of all, they the, their announcement, again, happened just a few days prior to the official release of season four of Star Trek Discovery. And then on top of that, their announcement is just a bunch of doublespeak, right? They made a Twitter post with, you know, an image graphic with some text about how excited we all are. And uh, international fans will just have to wait till sometime in 2022. Let's fly. Well, they think it's great because, you know, it's all under their umbrella now. Of course, they're excited about it, you know, but again, messaging is really important here. Right, right, right. And the fact that there was that no this... apology in that, too, in that no, graphic. There was, there was no, apo- apology. not a single apology. Well, that's there what I'm saying. No... It was doublespeak. It was, it, yeah. it's, it's, they are, they were trying to put lipstick on a pig by sounding positive when in reality, what they were trying to do was mitigate a spectacular marketing failure. And this is the kind of production behind the scenes things about Paramount that drive me insane. And it's not just with Star Trek. I mean, you can look at other properties, other IPs that Paramount touches that end up rotting. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Transformers are two immediately that I can think of. Indiana Jones, arguably, they don't know how to handle an IP. They just don't, especially large ones. And this kind of misstep in addition to the terrible, terrible post on Twitter is just another example of why I wish somebody else would buy Star Trek. I really just, at this point, I want somebody else to buy Star Trek. They, uh, just yesterday, they released the teaser for the new Halo series, which I want to be excited about. I really want to be excited about, but I just don't trust Paramount. I don't trust Viacom CBS. Mm. And if you look at the number of replies, already at the time of this recording, there are almost a thousand replies to just the Twitter post about it. Not a single person can spin this positively. There are people in the Star Trek community who are, Star Trek can do no wrong, right? There is just, and anybody who says otherwise is a heretic. And even this got those people to go, ooh, mm, that's, that's, that mess, that's, 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 
fucked up. That's not cool. That's not cool, man. That's not cool. <laughs> so we're talking about international backlash to an IP that for all intents and purposes should be international. There should be, there, the planning should have been in place to execute this so much better because you know what's going to happen now? People are going to pirate. People are going to pirate. They're going to go around. They're going to share files. They're going to do a VPN and they're going to, you know, hop border walls through a VPN. All these things to watch I, Star Trek. I mean, Trek. I know you're not telling people how to do it. <laughs> I'm not telling people okay. how to do it. I'm not telling people how, but it's going to end up that's happening. That's a separate podcast. No, we don't condone that behavior, Pia. We do not, which is, which doesn't help Star Trek. It doesn't help, right? Because there's very little in terms of metrics to be able to measure the impact of pirating. There are occasionally like some torrent sites will publish, you know, the number of downloads that a show gets, especially if it's very popular and whatnot. And you sometimes will see headlines like that pop around, but this is not going to help ratings, right? I, I, I highly doubt that CBS, Viacom CBS can go to an advertiser or to another, to an investor and be like, well, look how many times the show got pirated. Ha ha. I mean, seriously. Just to add something to that, Elio, I found an article from 2016 from the Sydney Morning Herald, and they were talking about the season six premiere of Game of Thrones. And the first episode had dropped, and the country that, by and large, was did the majority of the pirating of that first episode was Australia. We were followed closely behind from India, but Australia led the way. And throughout most of the run of Game of Thrones, as it increased in popularity, Australia led the way in terms of the number of people who are pirating that television series. So Australians will find a way. The people who want to watch this won't wait. We, they won't wait until 2022 because they want to see it right now. So potentially Paramount Plus has lost into a whole collection of international viewers who now have no reason to come on board the streaming service. I put in a request to Paramount Plus International and asked them two questions. I asked them, Paramount Plus is already, already exists in Australia, so will Australia receive Star Trek Discovery Season 4 in line with the US premiere? And also if not, when would Australia receive Star Trek Discovery Season 4? I am yet to receive a response, and I'm not entirely certain that I will. So, and yeah. Th th that's just salt on the wound on top of that. They're like sometime in 2022. What kind yeah. of nonsense is that? That means we haven't figured I, it, it out. We went to Netflix to try and get them to absorb some of these costs. They refused. We terminated the deal, and now we have to deal with the aftermath. <laughs> and again, this, is all, this goes back how many times have i said it that paramount is just reactionary it's like they don't they can't think 10 steps ahead they have no foresight into how to tell a, pro, a, a long format story they also don't seem to know how to execute a streaming service I, 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 has anybody heard of this with disney plus disney plus released shang chi and the ten rings over the weekend i I'm internationally, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Disney doesn't have this problem. Marvel doesn't yeah, have this they problem. They probably planned their whole platform better. <laughs> Meaning, hey, we should have international rights secured before we launch this thing so that people aren't upset. Okay, so we've been talking about the business, but it, it, with respect to the community, what this does is that it fractures the Star Trek community, which is incredibly active, especially on Twitter. And now people already get upset about spoilers within 24 hours of a show. I mean, now anybody 
everybody internationally has to avoid Twitter or avoid spoilers from their Canadian and American friends. You know, how are we going to share the excitement about Star Trek? This is just such poor marketing. Such poor marketing. They must have thought that the risk out, like the reward is going to outweigh this risk. Like maybe like they're not as concerned about some markets over others. So some will get priority international market wise. But I mean, I can only assume these business, you know, conversations that go on behind the scenes. But I'm fascinated and would love to have read this uh, agreement. Oh, look, about a million questions have gone through my mind this morning as to how are we going to cover the next season of Star Trek Discovery? Do you, do you guys mind waiting until 2022 to to do a review of season four? That That's unreasonable. That's not workable at all. We're, we're talking about what's happening now. We're talking about the Star Trek news that's happening now with that. And it, but it's just, they're, they're the little follow-ons from all of this. It's all of a sudden, you put it really well, Elio. This is a fractured community. You've, you've split it in two. Paramount Plus has split this in two and created the haves and the have-nots in that single moment when we talk about how it's one big wonderful community and we're all in this together and, and we can celebrate what Star Trek is all about. They've, this doesn't do that. No, no. And I'll tell you what, you know, a lot of the people in the reply to the tweet are like, I'm not going to, why am I going to get Paramount Plus now? Why? Why? I, no, you know, I don't need another streaming service. And now that I have to, now in addition to that, wait until 2022, they're completely turned off to signing up for Paramount Plus. And listen, they're, you know, we have an affiliate code with them, but I, no, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't want you to sign up for Paramount Plus. I really don't. We don't encourage this type just, of behavior. <laughs> what the, this like their messaging is terrible don't yeah right, don't do right. that i i just can't support the brand i can't support the people in charge of this brand i it's i can't you know and so i don't know man i don't know and like like roscoe said we even had a conversation internally about well do we review on screen we have a sizable amount of our listeners that are uh, outside of the united states and and canada i mean we might do have we to move not? it to after hours and just make sure we have spoiler alerts i, I don't know right I mean, right right you know, or, or timestamps that we have to provide now, which, you know, is not a whole lot of work, but is extra work now to be able to provide timestamps. And again, it's it, our, you know, uh, inconveniences, <laughs> inconveniences are right. Are, yeah. you know, kind of first world podcast inconveniences. But there are people who are going to be really sad that they can't watch Star Trek with their friends. People had watch parties over the overseas planned and now can't do it because they were under the impression that come Thursday or Friday, they were going to be able to watch Star Trek Discovery together. Not so. Oh much my yet. gosh! Because a Destination Star Trek was just in London, and they had that amazing that Discovery panel. Everyone was tweeting about it. Oh man, what a bummer! Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. That's why this feels so much like a kick in the gut because it's the build-up has been there. They've been the hype train has been building towards the premiere of season four. I've been really excited about seeing Discovery back on the screen. I'm looking forward to really getting into the far future and living in that world it's great it's exciting and now i've got to wait now we've got to wait international audiences have been told we want you on this on this journey let's fly not now though later uh, after no come along with us soon but not yeah not now though later i can't believe i cannot believe that last line in this announcement let's fly as of though they're giving us good news what a what a sack of sh- it just really is nothing but 
BS. Hey, PR team, how can you pretty this up? (laughs) (laughs) God. While we're on the topic of disappointing news, the fourth installment of Star Trek set in the Kelvin timeline is being delayed again. Now, the new release date is slated for a holiday release on December 22, 2022. Originally, it was scheduled for June 9th, 2021. Perhaps the marketing folks at Viacom CBS listened to our episode where we discussed the uphill battle Star Trek faces when released besides other, more popular franchises, or they just read the same industry articles that we do. Either way, Star Trek, along with other titles like Transformers, are being pushed back. Now, this could be a rarely well-executed smart move on behalf of the suits in charge of these things. You see, according to Scott Mendelson of Forbes.com, Paramount Plus is betting that Star Wars Rogue Squadron won't be able to stick to their holiday 2023 release date, especially when there's been little movement on that Star Wars installment that leaves Trek to reap the benefits of the holiday movie season. Mendelssohn writes, quote, The optimistic scenario is that Star Trek IV positions itself as the Christmas event movie of 2023 and proves to be crowd-pleasing enough to allow holiday legs to give the struggling franchise a kick in the butt after a disappointing third installment. That's what happened with Paramount's own Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol in December 20. 11 after J.J. Abrams' underwhelming Mission Impossible 3 5.5 years earlier, end quote. Either way, it's still two years away and a lot can change. Still, the film maintains its WandaVision director, Matt Shackman. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to even say this after having the long conversation we just had about the international release of Star Trek, the show, um, but this, this seems like a smart move, right? Star Wars Rogue Squadron hasn't started yet. My understanding is that the announcement was that they're not going to start filming in 2022, which makes a 2023 release date impossible, right? So this is Paramount thinking ahead. You know, like like we joked earlier, we'd like to think that they were listening to the show when we were talking about it to say, you know what? Well, there's no other tentpole film happening in that space. Let's fill it in. Let's move it to then and, you know, move it to that holiday break and see if we can get more cheeks in the theater seats. So... Yay! Look, and I appreciate that they may be reading the tea leaves in terms of Rogue Squadron, seeing where the production is at and and working all of that out. That's great. That's very, very smart. Um, In order for a Star Trek movie to succeed at the cinema, it's going to be about finding those gaps. And those gaps are going... They're going to be there because we've seen so many pauses, restarts, delays due to COVID. So those gaps are going to be there and hopefully we'll be at a point then where people are hungry to go back to the cinema. They want to go back and have the big screen experience. And So to see Star Trek on the big screen like that, I really hope it does well. I'm hopeful. I cross my fingers, but I've been burnt before. Yeah. And recently. Yeah, I mean, do we even know if we have, like, do you feel like maybe it'd be too rushed and like they're just going to have some crappy, another crappy movie with a terrible try to copy the past plotline I'm sure I'm sure that that's uh, well, what they're I don't do, but they'll watch have that. but they'll have they have all of 2022 to film and then post production for most of 2023 so that gives them the time whereas Rogue Squadron has an you know has no planned schedule to start filming and I think has been shelved so yeah. um 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Is Chris Hemsworth still on the rumored cast list for that know. film? Who, who's who's to say? Everybody comes in and out. Mm. I think Quentin Tarantino's making an appearance. <laughs> Great. <laughs> awesome. Ensign Ens- Ens- Tarantino to the bridge. Well, as we've been talking about the build-up to the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery, Buda Barrio did an interview with the new publication, or rather, the re-released publication, Star Trek Explorer magazine, about the positive reactions from fans in being the first non-binary actor in the franchise and bringing a non-binary character to the screen. Unfortunately for the actor, it meant they were also subject to some outdated attitudes, but there were few when compared to the overall welcome from the Star Trek community. Quote, there are always people who are going to set out to be hateful and set out to be transphobic. There's not a lot of Star Trek fans who are like that, thank God. It's not a universe where that fits, but there is also a lot of love, even from people who maybe don't know anyone who is trans. There are people who are asking questions, asking about things online, having actual conversations about it, which is really wonderful, end quote. Also featured in the new issue of the relaunched Star Trek Explorer magazine is an interview with director David Cronenberg, who plays the role of the Federation agent Kovich, who is returning for Discovery Season 4. The interview covers his relief as an actor as opposed to a director, growing up, watching the original series, and the specific role Kovich in Season 3 as the Terran interrogator. But Cronenberg was tight-lipped on what's in store for Season 4, saying, quote, I can only tell you I've been invited to be part of Season 4, and I was delighted with that. That's about all I can tell you, and it's not because I'm trying to be coy, it's because I don't know anymore, end quote. For the full interview, as well as feature interviews from Ian Alexander, who plays Grey Tal in Discovery, be sure to check out the first issue of Star Trek Explorer, available digitally and at your local newsstand. I'm really excited to see a magazine being launched slash relaunched. It's just nice to have it either digitally or to pick up a physical copy. It's awesome. Well, supposedly the digital copy is more expensive than the physical copy. I saw uh, somebody tweet about it earlier today that it's like $6 more to pay for the digital copy than the physical copy, which is odd, but... That seems strange. Now here are a few headlines that we didn't discuss but might interest you. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. Start applying for those passports and get your luggage ready because we're going to China! Why? Because an $8 billion theme park resort is being built with a Paramount theme along the shores of Dianchi Lake in the Yunnan capital of Kunming. The complex will include six themed areas, one of which is a Final Frontier Star Trek themed section. Fans of LeVar Burton hosting a quiz show, rejoice! The Hollywood Reporter has confirmed the actor will host a game show based on Trivial Pursuit. Produced by Hasbro and Entertainment One, no network is attached at the time of the announcement, with no information on when the program will debut. So less your answer in the form of a question, and more you get a slice of pie as reward. Congrats to Star Trek alum Tracy Lee Coco. She just announced that she'll be featured in an upcoming Star Trek The Next Generation book by Ian Spelling due to release in the fall of 2022. Congrats, Tracy. Congrats. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to track out this week. Now, let's find out what's happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations. 
congratulations high score the free phoenix prize pack returns from now until november 23rd you can pick up a free phoenix prize pack from grim on drizana station or ona on deep space nine once per day for a full list of prizes contained in the pack check out our show notes now if you are not aware the phoenix prize pack is a special loot box that you can purchase with dilithium or during this event you get one for free each day once you open it, you are granted a token of one of five rarities, and then you can redeem that token for a list of prizes on that specific rarity tier. But wait, there's more! The experimental Starship upgrade tokens are also returning to the Phoenix Prize Pack during this event. If you've been hanging on to some ultra-rare tokens, now is the time to redeem them for an experimental upgrade token. On sale right now until the 22nd, keys and keyring bundles are 15% off. Hey, surprise everyone! Another new ship is available via the Infinity Lockbox. The United Earth Defense Force vessel, Tier 6, was designed as a large, sturdy vessel built for planetary defense and doesn't at all look like a giant tooth or an elephant. This ship features a Commander Tactical slash Commander Bridge Officer Specialist Seat and a Lieutenant Commander Engineering slash Command Bridge Officer Specialist Seat with a 4-4 weapons layout and 5 Tactical, 3 Engineering, and 3 Science Consoles. Could be a pretty good setup, but it also features the Mobile Defense Net Universal Console. With this technology equipped, your ship will be capable of generating a large area of protection for you and your allies centered a short distance behind your vessel. This area moves with your ship, though you sacrifice maneuverability. You are able to deactivate the field if you need to, though. The console also provides a passive bonus to max and current shield subsystem power and maximum shield capacity. Once the ship is leveled up, you'll gain access to the interlaced emitters starship trait. While this trait is slotted, activating any bridge officer abilities that restore shields to yourself or an ally will also briefly apply an effect that automatically redistributes the target shields, provides shield hardness, and renders shields immune to drain effects. This effect may not be reapplied to a target until it has worn off. This is a interesting looking ship, right? Now, now that we're in the future, we're seeing a departure from the general formula of starship design, which is interesting, you know, because I, I actually follow Rick Sternbach on Facebook, and he made a post not long ago about how artists who render Star Trek starships, sh you know, should know that the Broussard collectors don't need to be on the front of the nacelle, right? They don't have to be on those pylons. They don't have to be on the on that nacelle. It could be anywhere on the ship. And so, you know, we don't see that here in this 32nd century ship, but I, I, I found it fascinating that, you know, we have this idea that the Broussard collectors have to be at the tip, you know, at the tip of the of the nacelle, collecting Broussards, whatever cool it collects. Just because they look cool with the colors and stuff, <laughs> you know? But that in, in designing a starship, a Star Trek-themed starship, they don't have to be there. And so, you know, that might give permission for creators to design a ship that, you know, is a little more um, unconventional. Well, yeah, all these latest ships have been fairly unconventional in design, these 32nd century ships. I mean, it definitely adds variety to the game. You know, speaking of, uh, and, and this may not be gaming related, but Eagle Moss debuted their 32nd century ships at Destination Star Trek London, and I saw some of the pictures, and they're beautiful, they're great looking ships. I'm really just not a fan of that clear plastic 
grip that's holding the floating nacelles. It's a little too bulky for my taste. Like, I wish that there was a more elegant... Like transparent aluminum? aluminum? <laughs> something like that. Or maybe just a, a thin, tiny piece of hard metal rod, you know, like the, that'll connect it and still make it look detached. But they're like these giant clear clips that kind of stick out like a sore thumb of it. So I wonder if uh, maybe in future renditions... Are you saying they ruin your immersion? Is that what you're saying? They do. They ruin my immersion <laughs> of, of floating nacelles. You know, it'd be really cool if they figured out a way to do it with uh, magnets. Yes! Uh, I was just about to say that. They're, surely someone's got to be working on it with magnets. That would be... That would be that's cool. That's the dream. That would be cool. Quantum locking, suckers. I Yeah, I find this starship, just the look of it is so wild. And part of me goes, oh, I don't know whether I want to fly this. And then I see, like, that starship trait, and I think, mm, maybe I do want to fly this, actually. I think I, I might try and see what I can find. But it being such a wild design, it's a good... It's a it's a good visual storytelling tool to show how the Earth Defense Force and, and Earth in general has departed from the Federation and Starfleet. It's a it's a great visual storytelling method of going, oh no, we're very separate now. You can see that. You can see that in our starships because they look like giant teeth, whereas before they threw the galaxy with the Bussard collectors. Now I forget, is it the lower the number of the turn rate, the faster it turns, no. or is it the higher the turn higher rate? Higher the turn rate. So it's inert. Is it inertia, the lower the better? Yes. Okay, so I always get those two confused in, in the direction of the number. So what is this? Is this a cruiser? Is it so the the the, the base turn rate is eight, the inertia is seventy-five. What you know, let's look at the um I think it's supposed to be like a souped up or defensive escort type ship, but it does look like a giant tooth. <laughs> Uh, also, Dr. Robert Hurt, our science expert, has clarified and said, yeah, magnets are not ever going to work like that. Oh, so, thank you. Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Come on, Robert Hurt, Dr. Hurt. What about quantum locking? It's just super cool, the magnets. <laughs> Keep them frozen. Invent something. And, you know. Oh, he just told it a smoky you. He's look, got the, the, yeah, he's got the formula for what would look best. <laughs> I see. I see. Of course you do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He's already probably thought about this at length. So comparatively, you know, I look at the Avenger Battlecruiser, right? Uh, that one's got a turn rate of nine and an inertial rating of 50, right? And that, the Avenger Battlecruiser, you know, turns pretty well. And let's look at, for example, the Sovereign class. If we look at the, um, let's say the Regent, that one's got an inertial rating of 30 with a turn rate of seven. So, and that one, that turns pretty slowly. Yeah, the seven but is But is not, right, right. Yeah, so... I don't know. Maybe it's worth a try for the. I mean, if you're into defensive tanky ships, yeah. I mean, this sounds like something you would be into. I mean, it's got five tactical consoles. You could definitely beef this thing up and do some serious. Well, you can have some fun with this. Yeah, I mean, you could. It seems pretty versatile. It's just I don't like slow ships that even with reduced maneuverability, that just doesn't sound appealing to me. And it also has the one commander tactical station as well. Yeah, I mean, slash command again. And this could be really, really versatile, and you could definitely set this up to do some serious damage if you were into this type of ship. Well, in other gaming news, more effective surprise attacks are coming your way in Star Trek Fleet Command with the second part of the duality arc coming to the game from Scopely, bringing enhanced cloaking effectiveness. Quote, the Klingons and Romulans have ramped up their war machines in an effort to re- 
resolve their conflict over the mysterious hybrid Roge. Time is running out, and the outcome rests in your hands. Part 2 of the duality arc expands on ship cloaking technology and its impact in battle. The Federation have found a way to acquire the highly controversial device and are now preparing to run their own stealth operations. End quote. Patch 36 includes a new second repair queue, four new ship cloaking refits, 20 new missions, and three new officers, including two epic ones. You get an epic sealer with a captain maneuver, hit them where it hurts, which increases critical hit damage by X percent when cloaked, and epic 11 of 11. With the captain maneuver, efficient crystal acquisition increases crystal mining speed by 60%. And that third officer staring at you across the neutral zone is the rare Tomalock with the captain maneuver patient tactician, which increases all penetration stats by X percent while cloaked. The update also contains a number of bug fixes as well as improvements to the web store. A full list can be found in the link in our show notes. That wraps up gaming news this week. Now let's look on screen for the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. But captains, if you'd like to avoid spoilers, jump ahead to 5515. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 1, Kobayashi Maru. On screen. Captain Burnham to the bridge. Dilithium is back, baby, so fire up your warp cores and let's explore the galaxy again. Discovery and her crew have spent five months reconnecting the Federation with distant worlds and everyone is doing a great job. So you get a promotion and you get a promotion. Just as we start to adjust to a new normal, a distress call comes from a damaged space station and the gravity of the situation increases. All right, let's get some statistics out of the way. This episode was written by Michelle Paradise, Jenny Lumet, and Alex Kurtzman. Directed by Olatunde Onsunsanmi, and first aired in the United States on November 18th, 2021. All right, joining us for this conversation again is Dr. Michael Chan. Michael, thank you for joining us for this conversation. Why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell us your overall thoughts on this premiere? Sure. Well, first, I need to compliment Roscoe on his intro. Well done, my friend. <laughs> that was a great intro. It's good to have the whole crew here tonight too roscoe elio cat me yeah so okay i was really happy with this um i thought it was a really interesting intro to the first season and my antennae are always kind of you know peaked and perked up for uh looking for you know literary references and, and just sort of you know interesting kind of connections to uh to things outside of the star trek world and I was so interested in the way that this episode utilized speeches. There were so many speeches in this episode. You had, uh, of course, Burnham's speech to the Academy. You had Saru's speech to the Assembly. You had the President's speech. And just all these speeches. And I thought that it, a lot of times on this, in these conversations, we've kind of wondered about like the morality side. Like, where is the morality angle in, in Discovery? And it came through for me clearly in all of these speeches. And I think they're just worth uh, kind of considering so but overall in terms of the storyline I thought it was really interesting I overall was happy with it Michael that could be something that they latch on to last season it was all about personal logs and people reflecting on their, their journeys throughout the course of the season maybe there'll be a lot more speeches uh, this season so there could come a point where you know they've run out of ideas when they start off with 
The Federation Standard Dictionary defines success <laughs> as etc. etc. But it's actually an ancient technique. Like you see this being used in uh, in Homer's work, the Iliad and the Odyssey. You see it used in other ancient texts where speech has basically become the vehicle by which the authors convey their values and what they think is most important about the story. And I guess it's a good way too to bring us all up to speed because the president goes through and says, this is all the wonderful things that Discovery has done and where the Federation is at after the last five months. So we don't need a montage. We got all that information in a speech. Thanks to your efforts, we now have a vast supply of dilithium. We can distribute to distant worlds and we have re-established peaceful relations with planets that well, they were antagonizing our members only five months ago. Is there anything that you think they could have delivered better? I appreciated the way that they, this episode both lifts up Burnham's strengths as a captain, which I think are kind of unique to her. You know, she embodies, she wears the, the four pips in a way that just about no other captain in the past has done, but also show how she, she has some really profound and deep flaws, or at least, you know, wounds in her past that really impact how she makes decisions. And I think I appreciate that they are exploring those issues in this first episode. All right, Kat, how about you? I was a little worried at first and then yeah it got much better and I, I thought it was pretty good I'm glad Grudge was there what do you mean you were worried at first well the beginning you know where it's all kind of just everything's great look how great it is and then I didn't want it to be like a monster of the week you know type of show so when it started on the planet it reminded me of you know the last or was it the last movie Into Darkness no, a little bit Into right? Darkness I was yeah. Say that yeah. too. It reminded me. Yeah, a lot it felt of, that way too. Yeah. They're trying to kill yeah, us, Jim. I'm like, they're trying to kill us. Yeah, and there's a cliff too. I totally got that sense. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that was kind of funny that they made fun of it, but I'm that turned out interesting. But it was just like the satellites, the dilithium. We got this. Dot sevens or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I'm like, please don't turn it into this. Um, but you know, after that, it, it improved. So walking away from it, did you do you think it was a strong start or no? No, I actually do. It was really good. I mean, it was kind of heartbreaking at the end there. You know, like like Kat said, kind of coming into this, um, I was taken back by how carbon copy the intro was to Star Trek Into Darkness. The quick-witted tete-a-tete, you know, repartee between Book and Captain Burnham on their little shuttle was, you know, straight up Bones and McCoy. I continue to see them imposing the Kelvin Kirk yes. on Burnham throughout the rest of this episode. Yes. It felt very much of, well, you can't save everyone, Jim. You know, people are gonna die. I like I this was this was into darkness, right? This first episode was into darkness. I, I can very clearly remember that the dialogue between Kirk and him be and and Captain Pike and Captain Pike or then Admiral Pike yelling at at Kirk about it. You know the whole concept of you're not invincible, blah blah blah. It felt very very familiar. I completely agree with that. Like it feels like they are casting Burnham in the mold of of Kirk. And it was interesting the way that you know this comes up with lower decks too, right? Because Mariner's like I'm a Kirk. <laughs> you know she's always saying like I'm a Kirk. 
And so there's, it's like continuing to explore that particular character type here in Discovery now. I have a bit of a problem with the cinematography. Um, I got dizzy. Or a couple, I watched it twice, and I think that's the max I can do in a day because of how dizzying the cinematography was. When the action starts to take place on the bridge and it's leading up to all the explosions, the camera just starts sweeping past everybody. And Ali made the comment that it's it was very reminiscent of like a high school musical play, like the student steps out, says their line, steps back in the line. And that's what it felt like. I didn't, I think they should consider playing around with the cinematography more because what that does for me when they do that sweeping thing where the camera's moving, stops at the actor, the actor says the line, then it sweeps to another actor, they say the line, it pulls away from the connection that the bridge has or should have, right? When we look at TNG, when we look at Voyager, the camera was in the far in the distance looking at everyone on the bridge. Yeah, sure, there were close-ups and whatnot, but the way they filmed Discovery, at least so far, I feel like it doesn't bring the, the bridge together. It's a big bridge, and they've got a lot of space to fill up, and I, I can I guess I can appreciate that, right? Yeah, I totally get you, because then, you know, Burnham's like, Lieutenant Christopher, and you're like, what? Where did that guy come right. from? Because you didn't even see him. He's like behind some console somewhere, and you're like, wait, who the heck is that guy? I could have done without Saru in this episode. I feel like introducing the conflict that Saru is experiencing, being on Kaminar as a council member could have waited for the second episode. I think there was enough going on in the first episode that we didn't need that B plot. Was it the B? Was it the C? I'm not quite sure. But that secondary plot, right? I I wanted to miss him more. I almost, I wanted to walk away from this episode going, well, what about Saru? I feel like the reward would have been better had they held that back just a bit. Overall, it was a popcorn-y kind of episode, you know? There was a lot of explosions, a lot of action, a lot of, you know... Asteroids. Things happening, and... But I, I felt I lacked connection to any of the characters. Adira's conversation with Grey on the bridge before she goes on the away team felt out of place. I don't know. It just... It, everything felt a little too disjointed for me, and, and uh, you know, I don't know. And I just wasn't... I would give this a 3 out of a 10. You know, let me say something about the camera. I think... I, I sympathize to a large degree with what you're saying that it felt bolted on to me that plot line it didn't feel integral or particularly well woven into like the primary plot but part of me wonders if Kaminar's going to come under threat you know in like a the next episode or two and that maybe that this becomes a way of kind of a pitching you know looking looking forward toward that I don't know it was just it was hard for me also to see how it fit into the main storyline but I also wondered if they were queuing something up for us that might be integral for episode two or three uh, it would have been easy enough to put Saru into the second episode I think I agree with you there but after the ending for my money if Saru wasn't there after that ending I wouldn't have really been going oh where's Saru it would have been oh my god what is going to happen next and would have completely forgotten about Saru so maybe in terms of the storytelling it's important to sort of touch base with him in episode one because we would then will reconnect with him properly in the following episodes but just to have that little bit of touch base hey you're doing your thing on Kaminar 
you're re-exploring your old world, but it's new, but it's old, but it's new. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you in that it could have waited, but it was such a dramatic conclusion to the end of the episode, I wouldn't have got to the ep- end of it and gone, hey, where's Saru? I wonder where he went. You know, there's a YouTube channel called Trexpertise who produces some remarkable videos about Star Trek in general, not, not necessarily reviews per se, but explorations into the canon and explorations into the characters and the species. I highly recommend it. Trexpertise. These videos are few and far between because of the amount of research, time, and dedication that they put into these videos. Uh, their most recent one does a comparison of The Mandalorian with Discovery, which are... They read your mind. Yeah, you have mentioned that in the past. Yeah. <laughs> in our current state of the streaming wars are kind of the ones you would compare, right? And I guess, right? They're, they're Disney's Mando is, is Paramount Plus's disco kind of thing. Um, and this does an excellent job, at least conveying the very problems I have with Discovery when compared to a show like The Mandalorian. You know, the the idea of what is a blockbuster, right? Like a blockbuster film, what identifies a blockbuster film versus a story that's a little more nuanced and takes its time. That there's no massive galactic universal existential threat coming down and pushing our characters to the limit. I highly recommend it. You know, it's it's just, it. the words came right out of my mouth watching these this video from Trexpertise he does it just so eloquently and so focused. I highly recommend it. But this is my problem with Discovery is that it, this episode was that explosion, explosion, explosion. We had some Kirk-like discussions. And I'm not talking about TOS Kirk. I'm talking about Kelvin Kirk. Right. Superimposed upon Captain Burnham now. I don't know. I'm not. This was not a strong opening for me. And let's not talk about the whoop-de-doop-de jump sound effect in that first spore jump. <laughs> but the first spore jump that they do with the president Somehow, somebody was playing with the mixing board over in the editing station for this scene and dialed up one of the effects to 100% because it sounds like somebody like was playing catch with a triple. Rewatch it or we'll insert the SFX now. Jump. It's just so weird. It was so weird. Never heard that before. It reminded me of that uh, scene with Rick and Morty where uh, where Morty and his dad are are on the sh- alien ship. They're captured on the alien ship that makes the love app, the dating app. And Gloopty just like spins away and he's like, Gloopty doopty doo. And Morty and his dad are like, did he ever do that before? No, no, never. Was that his thing? No. Was this the disco's thing? No. What? I don't remember hearing that, but I was multitasking at the time. <laughs> okay. So I've gone back and I've watched a clip of when Discovery jumps to Terralisium in New Eden, the episode New Eden, and had to listen to the jump sound effects there, comparing them with the, the latest episode. So this is the latest episode. And then this is the jump sound effect from the Terralisium jump. That squirrely triple squeeze sound effect it's someone it's someone tickling a triple that's what it sounds like <laughs> but it has always been there it has been there but it's been dialed up a hundred percent I agree with you it's it's gone right up there but was there in the background now they've just made it a bit more pronounced I don't know that was like somebody maybe they were it was their last day of work or something and they're like I'm gonna stick it to the man 
I'm gonna dial this sound effect way up and then peace out, suckers. It was just so awkward. I, I will say this though that the I when I review these, I usually do a visual watching, which I my wife and I did tonight, and then and then I'll do an audio listen. And that's easy to do like in the car or something because you can just like tune it into Bluetooth and shut off your screen and just listen. I find that's a really good way to review episodes because it, you if you focus more on dialogue rather than visuals, so you hear words, intonation, rhythm in a different kind of way than you would if you were you know watching the whole screen because the screen on discovery is always very busy even in the backgrounds like you very rarely get kind of profile shot sort of headshot type things it's always extremely busy in the background and so i find the audio only can help help me understand the episode a little bit more so are you saying you heard the bloop -de -doop -de -doop that the discovery made <laughs> I did. I mean, I heard it, but I didn't notice it. Let me put it that way. I was, I, I did notice though. However, was that a horda or what was it that she almost runs over in the hallway? I thought it was a giant tribble. It was a big fat tribble. I thought it was a giant tribble too. It's, it was something, but it was, it was cute, right? Yeah, something maybe. Yeah. Did it have antenna though? It had something, but you know, we're in the 32nd century. Yeah. Tribbles are now breeding with horda. So now we have tribble horda hybrids. And they're gigantic. Trorda? Portal. Hibbles. Or horrible. Hibbles. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Roscoe? What were your thoughts on the episode? I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. I actually thought it was probably the strongest start to a season over the last couple of years. I liked that they referenced Enterprise with Archer Station. That was a nice little nod, a little sprinkle of the Enterprise theme in there as well as all the lights came on. I loved it. How dare they not use Faith of the Heart? How dare <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad they didn't do that. Thank God. <laughs> I like that they added more color to the Voyager starship. The Bassard collectors were red. The warp coils were blue. It's a good visual way of telling us the ship runs on dilithium now. Yes, they said in the speech we're making these changes, but then they can actually, it's there on the screen for you to see. Speaking of color, I thought the uniforms all look great. I really like them. It's nice and clear who's who and what they do and what their department is. I really enjoyed the expansion of the roles of the bridge crew. I know their names now. <laughs> Lieutenant Commander Reese. I know that guy now. I didn't know him before. Now I do. And I like him as a character. He, do he doesn't just blend into the background as previously did a lot of the bridge crew. They've come to the fore. It's excellent. I really enjoyed that. Captain Burnham being at the centre of the show. She's finally in the centre seat. That now makes sense for me it was the first time that her being the focus wasn't a detraction from the story or the current captain because she's the captain she's the conduit through which we see all of this and that's always been the case but it just makes more sense story-wise that she's the captain and we bridge out from there so for me that was the first time this wasn't the, her being the focus of the story and, and the only person who can save the galaxy, the universe, the past, the future wasn't a detra detraction for me. But also, I like the fact that the Federation president checked her on that and said, you want to save everyone and you can't. And also, you're not getting the Voyager J, so tough. Yeah, did you get a Kai Wynn vibe from that president? Because I kind of got a Kai Wynn vibe from that A little president. bit, yes. I, did, I wasn't able to put my finger on it, but yeah, that is a that is a great pick, Kat. That's very much Kai Wynn vibes. Kat, I got to push back on this one, my friend. <laughs> 
Uh, but I did What? But, you didn't get it? You, I kind of was like, okay, what's with this lady? Yeah. So I did I did want us to talk about the president because I thought like in terms of character development, like most of it happens in sort of the exchanges between the president and Burnham, right? The difference between Kai Wynn and her is that like I just feel the sleaze on Kai Wynn. It's like there I won't I won't give particular politicians names, but there are certain politicians where you just feel the sleaze. And I didn't feel it as much from this from this president the way that I do with Wynn. Like Well, she didn't like my child her, right. but you know, I mean it was still a ah. little it still felt I just got a hint of it. So Roscoe, what uh would you have done differently? International streaming rights. Yeah. Oh yeah. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh yes, absolutely. Would have been nice. You're right, you're right, Roscoe. International streaming rights would have made this a lot better because then we would be able to share this with our friends internationally, uh, you know, outside of Canada and the United States. And, you know, to end on that note, they Star Trek seemed to have doubled down the next day with a very tone-deaf tweet about welcoming new members and we're so glad to have you within the fold. It was just like, read the room, Star Trek PR. Read the room. How can they be this I mean, it's like, we don't see reality around us. Like, no one react to this insane backlash around the world. We're not going to wait. La, la, la. (laughs) Uh, But overall, Roscoe, solid episode for you? It really was. It was a solid start to the season. I'm excited about the 32nd century and what it brings. I'll give it a four out of five. That wraps up this week's On Screen for Star Trek Discovery. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. This week we asked, which obscure Star Trek starship from the beta canon or the extended universe is your favorite? Also, what are your thoughts on Star Trek Online's new ship, the United Earth Defense Force vessel? Will you be picking one up? Christopher Settle replied via Facebook saying, I'd love to see the Federation class for temporal captains. The UEDF ship looks like a floating tooth. So no desire to obtain one. <laughs> I agree. Can't argue with that. Um, oh, see, I just got validated in the first two feedbacks. Amazing. David A. Takechi replied also via Facebook, I had a thought from the image they provided. It kind of looks like an elephant. I could see them calling this the elephant ship or even Dempo since it actually flies. Via Twitter, the Cyber Elf replied, I just got the Kirk. Enjoying it. To me, they did a good job with the layout. Only wish they would have made it pilot specifications. Named mine the USS Shatner. I'm glad that Star Trek Online is keeping up with the new ships shown. And Section 31T, the Archer class and the Canopus class are the two I'd go for. Also via Twitter, Ken from Chicago says, You mean the giant tooth starship? I don't know what drugs those 30th century Starfleet SCEs were on, but they finally made the Oberth class look cool by comparison. I hope the Ship Talking podcast is sitting down when they see the UEDFV starship. At Kellorian MG96, the FASA Federation class, a Connie with a third nacelle. Also, Captain BG2301 replied via Twitter, Man, I think I would love to see the USS Aventine from the books on screen as well as the Enterprise F from Stowe. I'm not a huge fan of the design of the new ship and the fact that it's a lockbox ship means a pass for me. Also, in the chat, Queer Triple says, I'm very partial to the 
Dreadnought class by Franz Joseph. Thank you, Queer Triple. Well, that wraps up episode 532 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment or a voice message on our website at priorityonepodcast.com, on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priorityonepodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at priorityonepod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, Gray, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stow players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Captains, we are humbled by the ongoing support that you give us each and every month by being a Patreon subscriber. With your financial assistance, we can continue to produce the quality and content of this show. We're even thinking of bringing back those old prelude skits at the start of the shows, a little short radio drama to help entertain you a little bit more each and every week. And with your help, we can make sure that these come out spectacular. So if you have a dollar to spare a month, maybe a little more, consider becoming a member of our Patreon family where we offer some interesting perks that are all listed on our site there at patreon.com forward slash priority one. And don't forget to tune in to the fine folks at Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, The Guard will take you inside the universe of your favourite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to our audio editors. This week, our introduction, feedback and closing segments were edited by William. Trek It Out by Alex, Gaming by Brandon, and On Screen by Roscoe. Thanks to our producer Jake and associate producers Shane and Thomas. Together they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist Alejandro with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to our social media managers Sarah and James. Thanks to the composer of our theme music Chris Watts. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none None of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage.
about it, mate. I just, I just need a minute to bring the rage levels down. Uh, well, as we've been discussing the buildup for the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery, showrunner Monsieur, showrunner Monsieur Paradis, <laughs> showrunner Monsieur Paradis, did an interview about the show, and it's really good, guys. You should watch it. Showrunner okay. Michelle Paradise. <laughs> 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 ah, we broke cat. Yeah, cat's uh. gone. Bye, cat. See ya. Bye, everybody. Have a good night. Share Ritter. So good. So good. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stowe players, whether you're new or a veteran. Whoops. Give me that last new or veteran because of the jangle. Sorry. <laughs> this is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.